some. Body once told me this song was from this movie. I didn't believe them at first. I had thought that it had come from the DreamWorks movie Shrek, but then I was proven wrong. Well, anyway. <laughs> Welcome to Off the Film Path. Here we review and discuss movies that, for better or for worse, are less known to the general public. Today we're discussing 1999's Mystery Men. I'm Kyle. And I'm Sophia. Woo, welcome back. Welcome back. Woo, we are back. It's a new year, and this is a 24-year-old movie. Fuck. <laughs> yeah. Can almost rent a car. I mean, they just got to pay a little premium. Yeah. I kind of knew that this was a superhero movie. I didn't quite realize how low-powered everything was. Yeah. So... This is a movie that is very much of its time. For for our listeners who might not have been around in 1999, there are certain things that are just not acceptable today to say or to imply or to make jokes about. This movie was before that time. There's one homophobic joke. There's a couple... Well, actually, it's kind of a an extended homophobic joke. There are a couple of sexisms in this a bunch of shitty guy tropes because this movie is full of shitty guys from the 90s yeah also as a general content warning this is more for the movie than our discussion this movie does contain body horror (laughs) yeah it does now it's goofy cgi body horror but still kind of gnarly yeah i don't know if you weren't turned off by tim burton batman movies i think you'd probably be fine or if the schumacher batman movies were you know fine then you'll probably be okay this movie's so old, Eddie Izzard was still using he, him. Oh, oh, God, why did you do that to me? Honestly, she only, like, publicly switched pronouns, like, eh, maybe three years ago. Yeah, something like. This movie is also so old that it has Paul Rubin. <laughs> I, it kills me. <gasps> Pee Wee Herman is in this fucking movie. Uh, uh, uh. Post jerking off in a theater. This is after? Uh, yeah, I think he went down for that in, like, I think? Early 90s? Yeah, something like that. That reminds me, I feel bad for him, because it's not just that he was jerking it in a theater. It was a theater showing porn. <laughs> Which, I mean, honestly, that's what those are there for. Exactly, and it's just like, nah, you can't do that, you're Pee Wee Herman. It's like, so yeah, that happened in 1991, back when there was a Soviet Union. <laughs> it wasn't doing so hot. And then the next day, the Soviet Union broke up, right? That's what... Well, actually, it was pretty close. Oh, my God! <laughs> Dissolution of the Soviet Union was December 26th, so it was about six months later. <laughs> Wild. Yes. Anything else before we get into this? Paul Rubin's jerking off in a theater... <laughs> Janine Garofalo? Yeah! Remember her? She's great. Listen, I've watched Wet Hot American Summer so many times, I yes, do I know Janine Garofalo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, star of a not-hit song by, was it the Beastie Boys? No. 
How the Bad Touch guys. Bloodhound Gang. Bloodhound Gang. That's it. Yeah. Okay. There was a song that featured Janine Garofalo using big words to make fun of me so that I would never know. Cool. Yeah. We go in on this dark, cloudy night in the city. And this is a cyberpunk fucking city, complete with just, like, Chinese on the signs. This is clearly making fun of Schumacher Batman. It just is. The colors are, like, there's a really odd color temperature in the whole thing. And it's very stylized. And it's extremely weird. Also, there's just Chinese everywhere, which mm, I think that is a cyberpunk thing where it's like, oh, yeah, there's been so much culture mixing like that. This is an anxiety that people were on about in the 90s is grim, but that's neither here nor there. Yeah, we go from there to this. They call it an old folks home. I don't think that's what it's meant to be. That's just pejorative, but it looks like the fucking Shriners. Yeah, they're having a party. And it is a bunch of retirees, let's say. And in busts Artie Lang. <laughs> yeah, he does. Uh, with his gang, the Red Eyes, because they wear goggles with red lenses. Red tint lens, yeah. yeah. And they steal everybody's everything because old folks have money? In the 90s, they did. <laughs> okay, kids, back in 1999, old people got to retire. That means that they stopped working at a certain age and just lived on what they had saved, which was typically significant. This is obviously not the case anymore. This is how we know it's a fantasy movie. Yeah. <laughs> Oof. Uh, yeah. In bust are leads Hank Azaria, William H. Macy, and Ben Stiller. Hank Azaria plays the Blue Raja in a feat British superhero. I know why Hank Azaria is doing this voice, because he's very good at voices. Why this character is, completely beyond me. They try and sort of explain it, but, like, not really. <laughs> yeah. It's a colonialism. That's about it. Yeah. <laughs> That's all it is. And then William H. Macy plays the shoveler, who shovels very well, I guess. Ben Stiller plays Furious? Mr. Furious. Okay, I didn't know if it for sure yeah. had the Mr. Who, like, gets mad and it's very much you think it's going to be like a hulk scenario not in the slightest no he just gets mad and does not know how to fist fight they get their asses kicked because they're awful and in comes the actual hero captain amazing greg kinnear greg kinnear god there are so many big names in this movie well there so are. many 90s ass big names in this movie <laughs> greg kinnear makes short work of the red eyes because they're chud they're 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 chumps they're they're Nothing. Importantly, Captain Amazing is covered in corporate sponsor logos. And the first person on the scene post-fight is his publicist, which is a bit sus, isn't it? Mm -hmm. We also meet this guy, Heller. Say it with me now. Heller. Yeah, we'll come back to this guy. But he's he's there macking on the ladies? Yeah. This guy's played by Tom Waits. Musician Tom Waits. Oh, uh, that's okay. Mm, sure. Yeah, I just saw something recently that brought up Tom Waits. So I was like, when I saw it on the IMDb, I was like, oh, it's that guy. Okay. Yeah. But he gives Shuffler his card and says, like, he's a weapons guy. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Shuffler and Blue Raja are starstruck 
at Captain Amazing and Furious is being pissy. Mr. Furious is audience insert, just so we're clear. But yeah, Mr. Furious is just like, who the fuck cares about this corporate asshole? We're also superheroes. (laughs) Yes, we're also superheroes. Let's put a pin in that. Which, as a side note, I'm pretty sure, like, actors get excited about seeing other actors. Do they? I don't know. Whatever. Depends on the stardom of the respective people. I guess, yeah. So yeah, after this, the press is already gathered outside this place, which was a bit sus, isn't it? And there's an interview where Captain Amazing is revealed to have lost his Pepsi sponsorship, which mm, puts him in a bit of a mood. Well, he tested positive for Coke. But uh, yes, I love it. Okay, so he and his publicist have a talk about this on the ride back to Don't Worry About It. We also see that our main trio gets no respect. The police actively talk shit at them. And in that. (laughs) And Furious talks such a big game and cannot back it up. And he's not even good at talking the game is the thing. It's so true. And this is something that gets brought up later, but yeah, he's not a witty man, but his entire shtick kind of revolves around him being at least a little bit witty. Yeah, he's very good at mad-dogging, yeah. like just generally being aggressive and in one's face, but like that's about where it ends. Yeah, which I meet three guys like that on the subway on my way to work. So we see Captain Amazing in his limo with his publicist. And yeah, so he is getting upset because, well, once sponsors stop dropping you, that means your fame is nearing its end. So his publicist says, well, you know, if you want big publicity, you need big fights with big villains. And they start going through all of the villains that Captain Amazing has put out of the game, let's say. And... They land on Casanova Frankenstein, who is in a mental facility for life. We then go to that facility, right? Yes. Which, this is definitely not Arkham Asylum. <laughs> it's even on an island like Arkham Asylum. Fucking, <clears throat> this, this movie's making fun of Batman. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> now that you're saying it, I was like, oh, of course. What What even? Yeah, this is just as not even trying all that hard. Casanova Frankenstein, which, baller name, is played by Jeffrey Rush. I wasn't sure who it was initially, because he's kind of grimy. Yeah. And he remains pretty grimy, but cleans up at least somewhat. Well, yeah, so is what's-his-name from Pirates of the Caribbean? Barbosa. Barbosa, thank you. Yeah. I was like, I don't think it is, but is this Werner Herzog? (laughs) (laughs) That would have made for such a better movie, because for sure he would have been like, Yes, there's no way I'm saying any of this shit. I'm going to rewrite this, and it's going to be much better. Captain Amazing. Yeah. This is going to be so depressing when I'm done with this. Exactly. (laughs) The psychiatrist on the parole board says, I think he's good to go. Okay, Harleen Quinzel. Yeah. Yeah. And then, okay, so this one's making fun of Superman. Yeah. Lance, what's his name? Lance Hunt. Lance Hunt, Lance Cashpants, comes in and is basically like, I have a letter from Captain Amazing, who is definitely not me. He pulls out a piece of paper that has his shopping list on it. First off, fuck you, you have a professional shopper. Second off, he's basically just like saying, I believe that we should give this man a second chance. 
So Casanova Frankenstein gets released because a billionaire threw a bunch of money at the problem, I guess. Yeah, we didn't have the gig economy yet. (laughs) But the fundamental economic forces were there. So we go from there to a diner with the trio. Who are licking their wounds over hamburgers and steaks and shit. Roy Furious suggests getting a publicist because he's like, that will be legitimate. And everybody else is like, mm, I don't know. That's that's a, that's a lot of money. It's $150 per person, which when you have no money, when you have no money, you know, it sucks. Roy is the only one we ever see at a job, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> are the rest of these guys unemployed? Or they can't be because the shoveler's got a house and kids and yeah. family. So I'm guessing like the shoveler's day job is like construction. <laughs> A hundred percent something that has to do with shoveling. Lol, he's an accountant. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> but yeah, so like they're they're kind of like waffling over it and and Furious is just or Roy is just like, hey, look what this is. I got $150 on the table right now. Who's in? And everybody else is like, me. And he's rude to the waitress. Don't do that. Don't do that. I wrote that he's low-key woke, and I was trying to remember what the fuck that meant. He said that to the waitress that they saved the old folks, and she goes, I thought that was Captain Amazing. It's like, yeah, don't believe all the propaganda you read. Yeah. That's a little bit red-pilled, though, too, because... Oh, oh. Mainstream media! (laughs) It is, but also, there's so much goddamn propaganda. There is. There is. It's a problem. So, at this point, I feel like we have a good enough sense of the world that I said this. Superheroes exist, but they're not, like, commonplace. I think it's a little bit the opposite of that. Like, they exist, but they are so commonplace that, like, nobody gives a shit. Okay. Like, people like Captain Amazing, because here we have basically the same kind of industry model as, like, actors or or other performers. Like, there's a massive pool of talent that nobody cares about, and, like, one guy at the top. Mm -hmm. Starring Ben Stiller. And, like, I guess because there's such a low barrier to entry. Mm Mm-hmm. Then you can have a bunch. Put a pin in that. <laughs> they leave, and this limo pulls up. Two guys get out, one of which is Eddie Izzard. They are the Disco Boys. Tony P and Tony C, I think? Yeah, something it's like not that. not that important. No. But they are extremely disco. And that's their entire shtick. And that's as far as their shtick goes. So it needs to go. Exactly. <laughs> yes. So the gang is going home and Roy sees the disco boys and is like, I'm going to follow and see what they're up to. Everybody else is like, yeah, I've got a life. I'm going home. So I think we follow Shoveler first. Yeah. Shoveler just lives a normal fucking life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's an entirely normal life. And his wife does not understand why he does what he does because being good at shoveling does not a superhero make? Yeah. I guess in this world, I can like kind of get there. But the idea of, I'm very good at shoveling too. I must use this to stop crime. There has to be something in the middle. <laughs> I don't know that there is, is the problem. Or at least for a certain subset of people. <laughs> but he has a wife and three kids? It's just yeah. like, And he lives in the burbs. It's like, you don't need to do this. Yeah. He just has a normal ass life. And... Honestly, I think that's a lot of what it is. Meanwhile, we visit Blue Raja, who's 
goofing around in his room trying to come up with quips. And then <laughs> his room is like very like quite spacious. I'm very spacious. So kids back in 1990, people had these things called houses. They were like apartments, but separated from each other on these big plots of land. And the rooms were a lot bigger than they are now. So this was a big bedroom, but not an especially big one. But it's also decorated in a very orientalist way. So this guy, the Blue Raja, if that name Raja doesn't sound particularly British, that's because it's Indian. And he's doing a colonialism and an orientalism. I want him to stop. However, his mom like knocks on his door because she thinks he's smoking weed. And actually, he's burning incense. And we hear him break character. Yes, as it turns out, the British voice that John Oliver uses to make fun of British people is actually an affect. And he just talks like this. He talks like this. I'm so cheesed off right now. Oh my god. Just like, bro. I adore Hank Azaria so much. Like, he's an incredible voice actor. And I don't know if you've seen The Birdcage recently enough to remember that he is in it. I have a little bit of, like, a history with that particular show and or movie. I'm shocked. There's a lot there. Anyway, yeah. he plays someone who's from Guatemala. It's like, what, you don't like my Guatemalanness? It's like, don't do that. Looking at Hank Azaria, I feel like it's fair to call him ethnically ambiguous. Yeah. So, like, he can kind of get away with some of these roles, but it's still... And everyone, everyone can make fun of British people. That is true. I think the next thing we see is Frankenstein's manner. Because mm. all we really see is Blue Raja has a weird thing with his mom. And yeah. is kind of a bum. And sits on a fork. Stabs himself in the taint. And there we go. But yeah, so next we go to Frankenstein's manor. With Tony dancing to Saturday Night Fever. <sighs> yep. And in comes Frankenstein. And they have a conversation about disco which okay the superhero gang are putting on a show like they're not you know mr furious and the shoveler and the blue Raja. they're a couple of idiots who made up a persona to fight crime tony p is legit into disco like that's not an affect that's who he is rock on yeah <laughs> hey look throwbacks are cool now they weren't in 1999 we've also seen casanova frankenstein like cleaned up and he's a disco pimp. Yeah, he's he's got that going on. It also makes sense that he's into disco because he's been in the asylum for 20 years. He looks like Mozart after an orgy. Yes. <laughs> and then we see, dun-dun-dun, the psychiatrist was in cahoots. Uh, shocking. I yeah, know. cool. And guess what? We will see her one other time, and she won't matter there either. Nope. He says, like, put the word out to all the gangs I control, that mm -hmm. I'm back, and then he blows up the asylum. Yes, which Roy is watching from the bushes. That's right. And this explosion brings Captain Amazing, and they banter back and forth a little bit, and... Like, just fuck already, please. <laughs> Seriously, oh my god. But the upshot is that... Captain Amazing gets captured because he's a fucking idiot. It's chloroformed. He fucking deserves it, honestly. Yep. Like, whatever. Roy knows he can't do much right then and there, so he leaves, and we see him at his day job. Yeah. So, okay, again, he's the only one we ever see with a job. 
but he's also the only one we don't see at home. So no idea how he's living, but he's also the only one who could afford $150 for a publicist. So either extremely well or extremely poorly. Anyway, he works at a scrapyard and his current headache is that he's been assigned to junk an old armored vehicle and doesn't have the proper tools to do it. All he has is a crowbar, which, yeah, that, that does suck. He's like Dangerfield in this respect. No respect. I have no respect at all. Yeah. From the junkyard, we jump back to the Frankenstein Manor where he says, I'm going to kill you, Captain Amazing. And Captain Amazing figures that everyone's on the same page as he is, where he's just like money hungry and like fame horror, you know, nonsense for just like, oh, you know, I thought we'd have this like this dynamic, almost like the Joker and Batman, where he's like, oh, I won't kill you. You're too much fun. No, fuck you. Yes, he will kill you because he's an impediment, because unlike the Joker, Casanova Frankenstein has a plan. And it does require getting rid of Captain Amazing. Then we see Furious trying to convince the trio to attempt a rescue mission, which they agree to. Kind of wishy-washy, but they, yeah. They give it a shot. They give it a go. They are not sneaky. The Tonys greet them as soon as they get to the front door. Okay, here's another thing that's just like, I I wanted to bring this up because it's going to be a thing. So this fucking movie... One of the things that it does is it likes to throw a bunch of meaningless scientific sounding words at you because, you know, the Batman villains or Superman villains are especially bad about this. Like the old, old Superman villains. My euthanasia ray will make short work of Metropolis or whatever. Fucking who cares? But the point is, there's a lot of meaningless mumbo jumbo technical sounding words. And they're just like, I think this is like a high entropy defibrillator or like a plasma scrambler and it's the fucking sprinklers man yep they get soaked by the sprinklers so they also get caught immediately and are quickly outnumbered (laughs) and they get their asses thoroughly kicked again well they were outnumbered this time so what can they do recruit they can recruit okay when they decide to do this though they're at the diner they leave and as they're leaving, Roy says, I'll catch up in a sec. Hang on. couple of things okay. that we have to talk about. When the idea of like recruiting comes up, Roy brings it up. And Blue Raja is particularly opposed because, oh, you mean you want to recruit some posers? <laughs> like you guys? I mean, posers never think they're posers. No, that's true. These are posers. And they object to the idea of posers being part of their poser party. Anyway, yeah, so Roy is like, why don't you guys go ahead? I've got some things I want to take care of. This is how he decides to hit on this waitress. Her name is Monica. Drops like a quarter in the tip jar. (laughs) It was was a charity box. Oh, okay. And it's, I believe it's a yen, actually. It's a coin with a hole in the middle. Are you on? Oh, yeah, not yen. And (laughs) tries to first apologize for like making her feel intimidated or threatened yesterday, which that's not what you did. You were just an asshole. Yeah. And then sees that she's reading a motorcycle magazine and says, oh, you're a hog queen? Mmm, bad. Excuse the fuck out of me. And in her defense, she she does go like, what? We like motorcycles. Not really, no. Kids, dating advice with Aunt Sophia, don't ever 
hit on a service worker while they're on the clock. They have to be nice to you. The behavior which this woman displays, who, by the way, we don't ever get a name for her. I just said, it's Monica. It's on her name tag. Is it? Okay. It's never said out loud ever. Monica, her behavior would have gotten her fired in real life. Don't ever hit on a service worker while they're on the clock. They have to be nice to you. Anyway. I feel like if you did this to a Waffle House employee and they did what she did, (laughs) they're not not getting fired. (laughs) No, they're not getting fired. Hell, you can you can just fucking royal rumble as a as a Waffle House employee, but That's any great. place that a class above a step above that, you're in dangerous territory. To recruit, they start with Invisible Boy. Mm-hmm. Invisible Boy can only turn invisible when no one, including himself, is watching. Otherwise, he becomes visible again. Which is a fantastic joke. It's so good, and people are like, "What? What? How do you know?" Well. Sophia, I don't know if you knew this. I'm a time traveler. Oh, are you? Yeah. I can travel into the future at a rate of one second per second. Also, who plays Invisible Boy? It's Kel. It's Kel Mitchell. <laughs> Before the world stopped caring that much about Kel Mitchell. Mm-hmm. Oh, did he do some things? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. And guess what? That thing is going on the list once I find it. And it is going to be such a nightmare to talk about. All right, all right, all right, all right. We have to do this. We have to do this. So Kel's first big, like, splash back in the pond after all that uh, and the Keenan and Kel show was a movie in which he plays a player who has sex with a woman who turns out to be a witch and then blows her off and she steals his dick. It's gone. It's fucking gone. (laughs) Oh, so when I said did some shit, I thought... You meant like... Oh, 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 like jerking off in a theater? Yeah, no. (laughs) That's not enough to get you canceled in the 90s. I know. So yes, as you said, Invisible Boy has a dumb fucking power. Mm -hmm. But he has been networking, so he is able to help with recruitment pretty damn well. How does he know all these people, Kyle? He goes to, like, the karate shops and... The costume shops. Yes. Well, there's your barrier of entry. Anyway. They go back to the diner. Now it's four of them and are talking about recruitment. And who shows up? Who shows up? Paul Rubens. Oh, fuck. Yes. As Spleen. The Spleen. The Spleen has a speech impediment. He's also just a gross dude. He's a very gross dude. Oh, hey. That's another thing we can technically add to this is an anti-Romani slur. Ah, yeah, that's right. Okay. So the thing where we stopped using the G-slur for Romani people came in the mid-aughts, I think. So we were still a few years out from that. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, his thing is he got cursed because he blamed a fart on someone else. Mm -hmm. And so now he has superpower-leveled farts. He is the closest anyone has to actual superpowers in this movie. Yes, and it is just as disgusting as it sounds. Does much happen other than we realize that they hate the spleen and he, like, sticks around anyway? Uh, no. They decide that they're going to have a recruitment drive. Okay. (laughs) Invisible Boy makes a funny joke here. He's like, yeah, you throw in a barbecue and a keg and, and everybody will show up. The mooch factor for these guys is pretty high. Woo. 
So clearly this is not a hobby for the rich and famous. Put a pin in that. <laughs> Additionally, they say, oh, but what if we had somewhere that has a pool? And they look around each other and like, no, 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 no. And sure enough, they are at the Shoveler's Suburban Nightmare. And the Shoveler's Suburban Wife is having what I think is an entirely justifiable reaction to a bunch of freeloading strangers having a rager in her backyard against her wishes and without any warning. This kind of does the like hacky movie thing of like, I'm staying at my mother's. Yeah. So instead of doing that specifically, she says, if one person vomits in my pool, I'm leaving you. And his response is, oh, that's fair. Yeah. We see a bunch of duds for superheroes. I only want to point out two because these were somewhat notable actors. Mm -hmm. One is Dane Cook. Back before we all hated Dane Cook. Yeah. As the Waffler, I think is what they call him. Or Waffle Man. The Waffler. The other was Doug Jones as Pencil Head. And he also has this kid with him. Son of Pencil Head, who, by the way, has way more charisma than Pencil Head. It's true. But it's like, ah, Doug Jones. I generally like Doug Jones. I do not know who that is. He plays a lot of movie creatures now. So like a Um, bunch in Guillermo del Toro Hellboy movies. Actually, he worked with Guillermo del Toro a lot. He was the fish man in Shape of Water. Oh, oh, okay. If you saw Hocus Pocus, he's the zombie. Ah, uh, fair enough. Anyway, they all suck. We eventually get them cleared the fuck out of this backyard. One that I have to talk about, I don't want to talk about. This joke will come back in a different, even grosser way. But two women show up in nearly identical Wonder Woman costumes. They straight up are Wonder Woman costumes. <laughs> they straight up are Wonder Woman costumes. And then they... Have a cat fight, and all of the guys are like lovingly staring at this cat fight. Like, I want to go to there. I'm like, why though? What are you getting out of that? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Fucking whatever. Anyway, Gross. yeah. Finally, a woman shows up after everything is cleared out, and the group is dejected. It says, "Am I too late for tryouts?" And Furious, being a prick, is like, "Yeah." This is Janine Garofalo with green. Highlights. Yeah. Which is nice. I like it. It looks good. Vaguely gothic. Vaguely gothic. We like Janine Garofalo. But anyway, she she displays perhaps the only other superpower on the team. Yeah, she has a magic bowling ball. It's magic because it has her murdered father's skull in it. Yes, and the way it displays the magic is it can kind of just go wherever it wants. Yeah, bounces around, causes havoc. This will come back. Everyone is like, yes, we need her. Let's go. And Furious is like, hold on. We have to do the formality of discussing. It's just like, fuck off. Yeah. That's basically the through line of the rest of the movie is the team makes decisions that Furious disagrees with and no one cares. So this is Bowler or The Bowler? The Bowler, yep. Or Furious buttheads a bunch because both of them have a lot of attitude. They're a little bit prickly. Anyway, this kind of, like, wraps up. She's on the Mm -hmm. team. They go out maybe that night, maybe another night on, like, patrol. This is where we learn that the skull in her bowling ball is her father's skull, and she talks to it. Oh, yeah, yeah. So they're out on patrol, and Dad's skull is kind of an asshole. Yeah, makes a lot of comments about Blue Raja, which, like, completely warranted because he's a weirdo. 
If you talk in the British voice that John Oliver used to make fun of British people, you don't get to be surprised when a boomer calls you a commie or a fruit. They somehow come across the Tonys and Casanova Frankenstein in a limo and decide to (laughs) trail them. Yeah! And so one of the Tonys points out that they're being followed, and Casanova Frankenstein is like, let's introduce ourselves. And so stops the car, they get out, and they go up to the window, and (laughs) Casanova's just like, yes, I'd like a cheeseburger and some fries and a Diet Coke with a little bit of ice. Just really insulting them straight out of the And they're just like, we know you have Captain Amazing. We'd like you to give him back, please. Captain Amazing? Never heard of him. (laughs) Yeah. So it's real low-key and casual until it suddenly very much is not. And they're like, all right, well, if you're not going to tell us where he is, then now this is happening. And they kind of go ham on the car, starting with letting Spleen rip one right into Casanova's face. Yeah. Again, this is close enough to a fight scene. We're not going to, like, go through the paces. There is one scene, one one thing in this fight scene that I want to point out. It's mm-hmm. so low stakes that Casanova's response to this is to try to meditate through it. Just, like, minor annoyance. They're beating up my car. He's just like... Mm-hmm. Also, we find out Eddie Izzard killed the bowler's dad. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Your baby bowler. <laughs> yeah, cool. So they're feeling real big about themselves for causing very localized property damage. Yep, and they are having a drink. This is where we get the kami and fruit thing from the bowler's dad. We hear Carmine's voice through the bowler. So so she's talking to the Blue Raja. He's explaining his name, which, again, is just a colonialism. No, no, no. That was in the car. Here's where they're talking about his oh, mommy right. issues. Right, right, right. Yeah, you're right. You're right. So they're talking about his mommy issues, which, <laughs> and she goes, uh, hang on, hang on, hang on. What? Looks into the bag like, what? No, dad, he's not a commie nor a fruit. I'm sorry. I'm embarrassed by his ignorance. It is also very apparent that the bowler has a rough relationship with her dad. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's not as bad as the one that Blue Raja has with his mother, but it's also not great i don't know blue raja gets to leave the house bowler literally has her dad with her pretty much always that's true we also see spleen say to invisible boy watch this and decides to creep on bowler and this is not lost on bowler who responds there's not enough beer in the world spleen i'm sorry which just the like defeated understated manner in which it's delivered like that was great yeah they leave they're fucked (laughs) Mm -hmm. and they walk outside of the bar to find tony p and tony c and their entire gang looking for some payback because that's what happens when you do some petty shit like wreck someone's car when that person is a criminal in the big lebowski the like censored for tv version Uh uh-huh there's a line that john goodman says in the real one, it's like, this is what happens when you fuck a man in the ass or something. Saying, like, mm-hmm. screw someone over. The, <laughs> the made-for-TV version is, this is what happens when you meet a man in the Alps. It's like, well, that doesn't make sense. But that's when it's like, when you break someone's car, this is what happens when you meet a man in the Alps. <laughs> I love it. The Disco Boys have them all at gunpoint. These six are going to die. 
Yep, they got him like firing squad. You done, boys. Until the gun suddenly gets split in twain. Oh yeah, this is the other superpower. This is the actual superpower of this movie. Yeah. And obviously the gun-toting dinguses are off-put by the fact that their guns kind of just died. And they fuck off. And then the Sphinx comes out. We're introduced to the Sphinx. He had been brought up earlier, and also they mentioned the gun thing. But they're like, oh, he's like in a different part of the country, so... Yeah, and he's also like apparently a renowned superhero, a big hitter down south. Also, like, his superpower was terribly mysterious. Yeah, so they could kind of just say whatever, and it's like, yeah, I guess that's true. He is a very classic, old, mysterious mentor archetype. Also, I feel like this is a very Native American-style characterization. I think it's because of his vocal effect. I think that's what it is, yeah. But also, he speaks in goddamn riddles. They're not even riddles. No, they're not riddles. They're just formulaic inversions. That Yeah, it's, it's a rhetorical device. The famous example being, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. Yeah. Which Furious calls it out later, and it's very funny. <laughs> yes, it is 100% my favorite part of the entire movie. So, Sphinx says, you are not a team, you are just six people who are near each other. And lucky to be alive for it. So, they agree to do the Sphinx boot camp. And again, Furious is like, but I don't want to do that. And everybody's like, shut up, Furious, let's go. Exactly. Shut up, Roy. So we see them, like, get better off the Sphinx's advice. Yeah. Apparently, hiding your shots is how you improve your accuracy for Blue Raja. Who, by the way, his thing is he flings forks. And sometimes spoons. But it's like... Yeah. Never knives. Never knives. That's a whole fucking thing that William H. Macy gives him shit for. Not knifey, but your stat, man. How it relates to Silverware? Who fucking knows? He says, Shuffler, how many weapons do you have? And he goes, just the one. He goes, no, your elbows, your fists, your head. These are all weapons that can be used. Which, okay, so you're teaching them how to fight. Like, that's just how you have a fist fight. Yeah. Congratulations. You are sub-drunk dude at a bar. There's something about... Furious needs balance, so he's balancing a hammer. Who cares? <laughs> and, and he goes like, uh, so why am I wearing watermelons on my feet? And Sphinx looks down and is like, I don't remember telling you to do that. <laughs> Whoops. Which I I kind of wish that he, like, we didn't see it, but he did. It's like, just gaslight that loser. <laughs> anyway, from here they do the, like, walking on hot calls. And at this point, we hear All-Star. Yes. Which, as I alluded to in the intro... All-Star was made for this movie. I didn't believe you at first that I looked it up. Smash Mouth sat down and banged out this boring loser's anthem set to good music, specifically for this boring loser's anthem of the movie. But they are so goddamn correct when they said the years start coming and they don't stop coming. Yeah, that is exactly how time works, yes. (laughs) So, montage, montage, montage. And where it like kind of calms down and gets out of it is that they're sewing. They're making their costumes. And this is where this is where Roy is basically had enough. He's like, look, they're going to kill. By the way, this has to have happened in 24 hours because Casanova was planning on killing Captain Amazing. 
the next day at midnight. So like maximum 48 hour span of time here. Mm-hmm. So Roy, rightly, by the way, points out that they do not have time for this bullshit and they should be using that time to free Captain Amazing. But the Sphinx also rightly points out that you are not ready for that smoke. <laughs> I'm going to point out where Roy correctly calls out that he just has like these predictable aphorisms. Sphinx says, if you do not master your rage, and he interrupts him and says, then my rage will become my master. Is that what you were going to say? That's, that's what you are going to say, right? He's, and he's not necessarily. <laughs> so Roy fucks off because it's also very clear that this relationship is no longer tenable. Because mm-hmm. Roy has certain expectations of his activity as a crime fighter and doesn't really mesh with the others. Now, the others are kind of wondering, what do we do? And the Sphinx gives them the idea, what you lack in manpower, you can make up for in firepower. And one, two, skip a few, they end up going to Heller. Yeah, he's in a weird amusement park. He's a batshit scientist, I guess. Or yeah. not a scientist, he's an engineer. <laughs> yeah, an engineer. Applied sciences. Also, while this is happening, Roy's at the diner and ends up getting like, it's not even a pity date. It's a pity you can walk me home. Yeah, it's clear that he is posing. And I'm just going to say it. Like, if you didn't know this, guys, girls don't like that. So Ben Stiller plays a poser in this movie. And then four years later would go on to be the greatest poser the world has ever seen. Oh, my God. Zoolander. Zoolander. Really, really, really ridiculously good looking. Good looking. In a freak gasoline fight accident. (laughs) She agrees to the pay date. We'll see more of it when it actually happens. Yeah. Heller, it turns out, only makes non-lethal weapons. And this, at first, is a bit of a turnoff for the team who decides, okay, we're out. And the bowler makes the excellent point that this is why, in general... Mad scientists are less desirable than normal scientists. More desirable. Because that's when you want the, like, lethality. Oh, does she say more? I think so. Okay, whatever. I'm quibbling over a joke. Yeah, not... yeah, yeah. Anyway, Heller chucks a can of tornado at them, and that changes their mind. We see a couple of other inventions. The one I like is the blame thrower. Yeah, that's fun. That's fun. Also, important to the other extremely gross part of this is the shrink ray, which doesn't shrink the person, it shrinks their clothes. Yeah. Guess where that's going? <laughs> Who could say? So, Roy and Monica have, like, an actually decent time. Yeah, because Roy is, like, the bullshit does not work with her. She's not interested in this mythology that I've built up around Mr. Furious. She's interested in Roy. So, he's dropped a little bit of the bullshit, just enough that she has a tolerable time with him it's like in fucking opening night when jc chaze stops being jc chaze in sync member and is just jc and yeah. alona tall is like okay i can work with that yes love it so yeah she convinces roy to just go back to the team and he's like i can't i just left tonight it's gonna look bad just, just fucking do it you loser yeah and So he does, and he does it in the most 
fucking idiotic way where he pretends he's still this angry guy and just like, shut up, dude. Just fucking go back. Say like, hey, sorry, I stormed off in a hoof. I made a mistake. I hate when this happens in movies where a character narrates physiological things that are happening to them and does so in sentence fragments. I hate that so much. Well, that's his entire shtick. I know. That doesn't mean I have to like it. No, I'm saying that makes it worse. That's intolerable. We then cut back to the Frankenstein Manor, and... Several gangs are here. Like, five gangs. It's the assassins from the East, who I think they call the Susies. Yeah, because they're Japanese femboys from the 90s. Cool. The Suits. Yep, big business. (laughs) Yeah, like mafia racketeer-style pinstripe suits. This is straight up, like... Humphrey Bogart as a mafia member. The furriers, who are women that wear a particular kind of clothing. Furs. The frat boys. The frat boys, but I was talking about the other ones. The not-so-goody mob, who are a group of black men that... They're rappers. Well, let's call it what it is. Speak and jive. Uh, Yeah. It's not great. It's not great. But they're supposed to be hip-hop stereotypes. Yes. And they are all there to help Casanova Frankenstein with his plan, which is kind of vague. I wrote the quote of, he says, I want the citizens of the city to share my vision of the world. What does that mean? Who fucking knows? Well, you can sort of infer a little bit from that because Casanova Frankenstein has spent the last however many years in a psych ward. So, like, clearly this is some kind of insanity, Ray. The twisted mind of Jared Leto. (laughs) Yeah. He wants to show all the gangs that he has captured Captain Amazing and what his doomsday machine can do. The only reason I bring this up is because one of the frat boys interrupts him and says, Hey, can we make our brewskis? It is perhaps... I'm just going to spoil this right now. Yeah. They die. Those frat boys die and it is perhaps the most gratifying scene in the movie. <laughs> brewskis. Fuck. Meanwhile, we know that the team has gone to the manor to attempt a rescue mission. Mm -hmm. We don't see most of the team, but we do see Spleen and Invisible Boy watching from afar as scouts. A skunk shows up in a scene that we did not need, and I'm going to skip past it. Yeah. The rest of the team is inside, finds Captain Amazing, who's trying to instruct them on how to free him. And he makes a mistake in giving the instructions, and it confuses the team. And they're idiots, so, like, they fumble the rescue and melt Captain Amazing. Yes. Two things. So Furious and Bowler are the ones who are, like, trying to actually do this stuff to free him. Blue Raja just says this, like, jolly good show type of thing. And he's like, shut the fuck up and stand over there. <laughs> yeah. Like, you you are particularly annoying. And meanwhile, Shoveler is holding, like, tin foil that he's made into circles to look like glasses, like... Are you billionaire Lance Hunt? He goes, yeah. No, not really. I'm just fucking with you. I'm just fucking with you. I appreciate that. That legit happens in a Superman animated episode. Oh, nice. Lois is like asking about him. He's like, I'm actually Superman. And I took a job as a reporter so that I could learn about disasters as soon as I can. And she goes, stop fucking with me, Smallville. (laughs) Lol. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. This, like, who's on first ass thing, they melt Captain Amazing, which is fine. 
It was a little earlier than than Frankenstein wanted, but he he plays it off pretty well. He's like, as you can see, I have melted Captain Amazing. Awesome. The team escapes without much incidents, but Blue Raja left behind a fork. So they are aware that this team is on to them. Yeah, but they also don't consider them much of a threat because, I mean, they dinged up his car pretty bad. So from here, they go, are they back in the bar or are they like someone's house or something? They're at Heller's compound. Oh, right, right. Okay, so they're at Heller's compound and they are despondent because, well, they killed Captain Amazing. Well, Blue Raja killed Captain Amazing, but like they killed Captain Amazing. Yeah, so they say without him, no one can stop Casanova Frankenstein and Shoveler's like, shut the fuck up. We're superheroes. Let's do superhero stuff and stop the villain. Inspiring speech about egg salad, and then we're off to the races. But they realize that they need a better way to get there than their current conveyance. To which Roy helpfully mentions, oh, hey, there's an armored vehicle at the dump. We could take that. And Heller gives some explanation of how it's such an incredible vehicle for this purpose, whatever. They say, say goodbye to your families, because we might not make it out. So then everyone has to split off. For a sec. Again, the timeline is bizarre. Yes, yes. This does not make any sense timeline-wise. So we go to the shoveler's place, and in the most realistic scene in the movie, his wife is leaving him. He's like, look, if you go, I won't be here when you get back. And he goes, yeah, that's fine. It's cold. Yeah. On the shoveler's part, I mean. Blue Raja, like, I'm going to say... Comes out. Comes out to his... <laughs> yeah, he, he comes out to his mom. Actually, you know, that's very funny you say that because she catches him getting silverware for his shtick. And what after he comes out, she says, I was saving these for when you got married, but I think that might be a long way off. Yep. Give me an L. <laughs> Obergefell v. Hobbs was a few years off at this point. Whew. Anywho. Oh, and then Roy has one last thing with Monica where he's kind of gives up the furious persona, like, completely for her. Yeah, she kind of fucks this up a little bit. Yeah. Like, on the one hand, it's good, solid advice, like, just be Roy. But on the other hand, Roy can't fight. It leaves him in a state. Yeah. It makes him useless as a superhero. They reconvene, do the slow-mo walk. They have new costumes. Who cares? Yeah. Get in the vehicle, there's a weird thing there of Bowler trying to hype him back up. It kind of works, I guess. Not really, because, like, what ends up happening is his malaise spreads to Invisible Boy, who starts to panic because, well, these are not people who should be in any kind of life or death situation because they freak out. Like, that. that's... We'll get back to it. Yeah. Crash through the front door, and this is the start of a... Long fight sequence with a few highlights. So, again, we're just going to go through the highlights. So, they open fire on this armored vehicle because, of course, why? <laughs> what else do you do? They get their guys taken away by a big magnet. Doesn't matter. Everybody runs away. They lock a door. There is now a laser protecting this door. So, the heroes cannot pursue. Enter Invisible Boy. He turns invisible and it actually works. And he's able to deactivate the laser. And for some fucking reason, going invisible means his clothes drop off him. There it is. So when he comes back, he is naked. And Janine Garofalo doing Janine Garofalo stuff. Like, maybe you want to put on some shorts. 
if you want to keep fighting crime today. Another character says, might need two hands. It's like, whoa! <laughs> two hands, chap. Woo! So, yes, the implication there is that Kel Mitchell has a giant dong. Good for Kel Mitchell. In the next area, the furriers decide to hold the team off while people continue further in. They use the shrink ray, and these women have their clothes shrunk on them. It's sexual. Everybody ogles this happening. It's so gross. Except Shoveler. <laughs> He's a wife guy. Shoveler does, but he pretends not to. Yeah. He, like, he, ta- he steals a couple of glances. Even Janine Garofalo is just, or the bowler is just like, okay, that's, uh, this is happening. <laughs> this must be observed. <laughs> more fighting, more fighting, more fighting. Spleen gets shot in the ass, and then he's playing it like he got shot in the chest. Yeah, like, if you're going to get shot, the ass is probably the best place to have it happen. Maybe the foot? Nope. Nope. Too many blood vessels. Oh, okay. Ass is mostly just fat tissue. Spleen pulls it together just enough to fart on the people who shot at him and they're knocked out. Yeah. Bowler finds Tony P, says that she will not do vengeance, but kind of just releases her ball and lets Carmine do what he wants. Yeah. Puts Tony P through a wall. And that's that's a hard rap on Tony P. Yeah. And says, now that I did this, I'm returning to graduate school. <laughs> yeah. That was the deal. <laughs> Casanova Frankenstein has kidnapped Monica and is using that as leverage against Furious and the team. And so this is where the frat boys die. Who cares? Doesn't matter. Villains have no... No moral compass. Hang-ups. Yeah. Yeah. So he gets up there at the same level as, as Casanova and actually gets actually mad and comedically beats the piss out of him well not quite yet there's a fight where he still gets his shit clocked i also want to point out one of casanova's frankenstein's weapons he has like technology weapons but the one he's using here is not technology it's just a coke nail yep yep i think that's funny so yeah it gets his ass kicked but then he actually goes like rages as much as he can and actually like somehow okay no 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 but anyway. Whatever. He throws Casanova Frankenstein into his machine, which I think is activated at this point. Yeah, that's what an actual angry person would have done. It's just very calmly picked him up and chucked him into the doomsday machine. So body horror, CGI shit, Casanova Frankenstein's done. Mm-hmm. But the machine has not stopped. Correct. We also see the effects on the city, and it's just kind of like making everything wavy. Yeah, doesn't really change much. It's like if the city foundations were on a waterbed. Like, that's Mm -hmm. what I mean by wavy. This is basically relay from the Cthulhu mythos is what it turns the city into. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, at this point, they go like, okay, how are we going to do this? The bowler. The bowler's got a dead guy. A dead guy who can still wreck shit. Mm -hmm. So they drop the bowling ball in there. The bowling ball bounces around and wrecks the machine. And that's that. And the place blows up. The place blows up. They saved. We then go to a news team talking about it. And team emerges. We see the people that care about the team react. And, like, that's it, right? Pretty much? Yeah, I mean, pretty much roll credits. Everybody's, like, happy. Shoveler's wife decides not to leave him, which, bad move. Who cares? Yeah. And then Monica, like, Roy is still kind of, like, Nope, I'm just Roy, and I'm in a super amount of pain. Can you please leave me alone? And she's like, actually, he's Mr. Furious, and his power comes from his unending rage. Roll credits. Oh, the news team dubs them the mystery men. Yeah. 
and Sphinx does a final line, pitching a very dumb name. Yes. We're done! None of this matters. Listen, realistically, movies don't matter that much. So I mean, yeah, yeah. That, that's this podcast fun. doesn't matter. <laughs> so I it's can't, fun, though. Yeah. It's, it's fun. This movie was fun. Talking yes. about it is a little... Ugh, but It's, yeah, the timeline is so fucked up, it's, it's really weird. But, I mean, it's a, it's a fun movie. Yeah. I enjoyed it. So, Sophia, what do you want to discuss about this movie? What can be gleaned from this? This movie is perhaps the most effective skewering of the idea of superheroes, or rather, our misconceptions of superheroes, and the idea of vigilantism that I think I've ever seen. So, all right, we take this group of superheroes who are just three shitty dudes who are bored in their lives and want some excitement and decide that they have super powers, which is the vigilante story. Like, that's how vigilantism works. Like, people are bored, people are incensed and see a thing happening, and they decide the police are not capable of solving this problem, but I am. Fuck you, no you're not. Anyway, okay, I have a story. I have a story. I used to live in Daytona Beach, Florida, which is a place so disgusting, so fucking foul. Ron DeSantis tried to start his political career there, and he lost the election for not being right-wing enough. That's not a joke. That's grim. That's grim. Daytona Beach sucks ass. But, so, I was at a DMV for some fucking thing. I can't remember what. And afterwards, I was like, well, I've been in there for like four and a half hours. I'm hungry. And I stopped at a McDonald's. And there was a long line. So I did what I, as a giant fucking nerd, do. And I fired up Mango Languages. I don't know if you're familiar with Mango, but like, it's kind of a pre-Duolingo. A language learning program. Yes. And the language I was learning there, because my Bet Noir, my white whale, is the Tibeto-Burman language family. They don't make sense to me. The way they work doesn't make sense to me. And now I have to fucking crack it. And I've been at this for decades. So I was studying one language from that family called Dzongka. They speak it in Bhutan. And this lady in this McDonald's, she's sitting down with her food and she hears me say something in this language. There's no way she knows what language I'm speaking. She just hears a language that is not English. And she starts glaring at me. I don't pay it any mind because, I mean, Daytona Beach is an extremely racist place. So a cop comes in and she calls the cop over and says something to him. I can't hear what she says to him, but the cop's like, no, I'm not going to do that. She's speaking a language that's not English. That's not illegal. Sit down. The reality of vigilantism is that, except the woman has a gun and won't call the cops, she'll solve the problem herself. So this is taking that idea, that reality of vigilantism, and saying, yeah, these are stupid people who have no business doing what they're doing, and that's just the reality of vigilantism. Superheroes are often misunderstood by people as being this like kind of beacon of hope. Beacon of hope, but also, you know, if you leave that long enough, some asshole is going to popularize the idea that they are the example of whatever society they're living. Truth, justice, and the American way. Why does the alien believe in the American way? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. 
the point is because he was raised in Kansas. I'm not touching that one. <laughs> we are very fortunate. He is uh, anti-racist. Well, you know, made by Jews. So. Yeah. And therein lies the interesting thing. The idea of the superhero was constructed by Jews fleeing the Holocaust. This is about a people who have been traumatized imagining themselves a defender. This is not the uber-American. Like, this is not American Ubermensch hour. This is Jews saying... Hey, what if somebody defended us? I believe very early in the podcast, you referenced Jacob Geller's video. Oh, yes. On the golem. Yes. Golems and how it relates to superheroes. Yes. And I highly recommend that video if you've not seen it yet. But yeah, so so basically all superheroes are a projection of Jewish trauma and saying you should have protected us, but you didn't. So we have to protect ourselves. This isn't everybody's fantasy. This is a very specific thing. And I hate it that like it's so often misunderstood as like just a thing that happens in a culture. Like it's also a very uniquely rich person thing because of just the logistics necessary to effectively do the thing. So it becomes this like, oh, we want to do this because I mean, it's a way to get famous. And that idea kind of comes up in this is like, you know, he's famous, he has sponsorships. He's doing all right. So this movie kind of reminded me of Kick-Ass because of how comparatively low-powered it is. Mm -hmm. And I feel like both of those movies try and get at the idea that anyone can be a hero. You don't have to, like, save the world to just do good. Like, I think in Kick-Ass, the first thing he does in his costume is just stop a robbery at a convenience store. Yeah. I feel like this movie similarly wants to say, you don't have to be amazing to do the right thing. Yeah. But it also doesn't really get there. Yeah, there is a failure there. Actually, I feel like structurally the whole movie doesn't get there, but Shoveler is really that avenue. He's like, I shovel good. And so, as we brought up, the mentality of I shovel good, so I'm going to use this to do good in the world. Now, how that manifests as fighting crime, again, that's strange, but I, I like the idea it's whenever it's presented of, like, anyone can put out good in the world. I'm not the first leftist to turn my nose up at the idea of, you know, billionaires fighting crime or, or like, by not doing good in the world when they could use some of their billions to, I don't know, solve global fucking hunger, Elon, you asshole. You would still have enough money over, left over to buy Twitter. I, I know. <laughs> the other thing, though, on the flip side, is we see that our corporate superhero, Captain Amazing, is kind of sleazy. Yep. But he does mention something very interesting, where he says, I'm positioned by the companies that make these wonderful products. And that's that's how sponsorships work. Like, I don't know if you noticed on YouTube recently, like a lot of really big creators ended up taking sponsorships for this thing called entire or uh, um um shit what's um uh, established titles so established titles build itself as like oh you buy a plot of land in scotland and that makes you a lord or a lady no it doesn't no obviously it doesn't obviously it doesn't no i thought it's a jokey thing the way i it's not in this room i have a certificate of ordination from the church of the flying spaghetti monster so I'm technically an ordained minister. 
I thought it was about the same thing with the established titles. It's like, I own this land, quote-unquote, which makes me the lord of this land, quote-unquote. Like, I thought it was a jokey thing that we all were in on the joke. No. This company marketed to people who didn't get that that's obviously, obviously not a thing. You do not get to call yourself a lord or a lady because you own one square foot of land in Scotland. That's not how that works. So these sponsorships are lucrative. These pay the bills for these creators for quite some time. So when they back up several thousand dollars for you to say a thing on your stream and you take that money, you have to say the thing. You are positioned. And that's sort of like, that's what sponsorship does to you. Like, that you just, you have to, like, that's part of playing that game. Sophia, I'll be honest. It's a little funny that you scrambled to do established titles. Because, like, famously, Raid Shadow Legends is this. Raid Shadow Legends! Okay, that said, the funniest one of those I ever saw was on a Laser Pig video. I'm going to share, like, that's going to be in, in, the, in the description. I'm okay. going to put that in because it's very funny. <laughs> yeah. When you are sponsored, you are restricted in certain ways. Athletic Greens. Okay, so so one of my favorite is Athletic Greens sponsors Some More News, which is one of my favorite YouTube products, if you will. And they always do this thing where they drink it really fast and it makes them kind of like gag a little bit. And you're like, are they trying to tell me this stuff's actually fucking disgusting? But like subtly. And I think the company actually caught on because on their supplementary podcast, they were like, yeah, no, it's fine. We just, we drink it too fast as a bit. Just drink it like a normal person and it's fine. It tastes fine. (laughs) Just like blink twice if you're under duress. Exactly. But yeah, once you're under that corporate thumb. It's hard to get out. Shit gets bad. Mm -hmm. I will also say, along with that, it meant that our hero had to manufacture a villain for his own selfish purpose. <clears throat> DNC! <laughs> Oof. Oofa doofa. Now, that's a little egregious because I called the DNC heroes. Yeah. <laughs> but they for sure manufactured a villain for their own purpose, and it bit them in the ass. It bit all of us in the ass. Which flavor of neoliberalism would you like to vote for? Exactly. Anyway, this movie, if it was released today, people would give it so much crap for one being like kind of mediocre, but also people are so far up Marvel's ass that they'd be taking as such a personal insult. They couldn't take a satire of Marvel. How dare you say all of that about Tony Stark specifically? That's all my discussion points. I do have a few thoughts. Let's move on to thoughts. Okay. I don't think this movie really leans into the cyberpunk city aesthetic. Yeah. So, obviously, I took a different kind of aesthetic from it. Schumacher Batman. Yeah, Schumacher Batman. But yeah, you're right. Like, it has so much potential, and it's just, it's laced. Especially because, like, if you're doing that kind of city, you would think that they at least have, like, tech gadgets they can use to help with their superheroing. Well, so, fun fact about that, my hot take on that is, I saw a thing earlier today. So I'm a big Warhammer 40k nerd, and the entire concept there is that, like, we think that the arc of the future is long and bends towards a bettering, you fool, you fucking dummy. No, absolutely not. And in fact, like, it was brought up to me that, like, a lot of sci-fi from, like, 
the 50s thought the 2020s were going to be like us zooming around exploring the galaxy. And here we are trying to figure out whether the gay man who lied about everything on his resume was flashing a Nazi symbol in Congress or playing the ring game. That's that's 2023, baby. We're not fucking exploring shit. Well, we kind of are, but like not We like could that. have been. We could have been if we still funded things well and didn't give it to the military. Well, exactly. The other thing, most of these motivations I don't think are well established. No, no. Bowler is perhaps the strongest. Yeah. Everybody else is just like, hey, I can do a thing. I'll be a superhero about it. I don't think Casanova Frankenstein needed a motivation because it's fine to just have a villain who does zany cartoon villain shit. Yeah. That's fine, but he also it was just like, okay, I'm going to fuck with the city. Very few of the characters, and none of the main characters in this movie are characterized particularly well. No. Which I think is an interesting thing. The best characterizations we have are from minor characters that don't matter. Tony P wants to ensure the longevity of Disco. Disco is not dead. Disco is life. Finally, the psychiatrist becomes irrelevant immediately. Immediately. It's like, bruh. But also... Truly so much of this movie is spent with the heroes that there is not time given to the villains really at all. Yeah. So in that way, I kind of get it. Shall we move on to our ratings? Ratings! Ratings! On a scale of 1 to 10 of enjoyability, standard scale, where would you put this? I'm gonna, like, for all of the shit that I've given it, I'd say an 8. I enjoyed this. It was fun. I'm gonna go a little lower. 7. Okay, that's fair. Just because, like, watching it again was rough, but that's also when I'm typing up notes, so... Yeah. Maybe that's not fair. And as the person who does the fucking... the the Twitter threads every once in a while, I can tell you that that will take a 90-minute movie and make it a a four-and-a-half-hour experience. Yeah. So it better be fucking good for those four-and-a-half hours. Yeah. The rewatch is always rough. On a scale of obscurity, with one being a Best Picture nominee, ten being a literal student film, where do you want to put this? Two. Okay. This was a pretty mainstream movie in the 90s, uh, in like 1999 or in the early aughts. Like it had a bunch of like people that people know or knew. Ben Stiller's still around. William H. Macy's still around. Everybody else has kind of faded into obscurity a little bit. Hank Azaria still works on The Simpsons. He's never given that job up. No, why would you? That's a cash cow. But yeah, so like these were all people that people knew it was a well-advertised movie. There, I believe there were trailers on TV. Yeah, this is this this leans way closer to a 2 than it does a 10. I'm going to go with 3 then, because like it just did not stand the test of time. No. In that, like, no one's heard of... Like, people don't remember it, really. Which is why it's, it's on this podcast, even if it was, like, super well-known at the time. It is currently free on Daily Motion in three parts. And nobody has bothered to take it down, which means that nobody, nobody remembers this movie. I think that's true of the movie What's Your Number with Anna <laughs> Ferris. Oh my god. Anna Ferris and Chris Evans. Not an awful movie, but I mean Anna Ferris, I think, is underutilized and then got quickly pigeonholed into Angry Blonde Girl, who's kind of funny. As we wrap up our episode, we end, of course, with our pop culture pop-out, a piece of pop culture we have been interested in as of late and just want to talk about for a little bit. Sophia, do you want to start us off? Sure. So, real quick, I just want to shout out the Penumbra podcast. 
So this is a scripted podcast. Right now they're doing two storylines, one of which is Juno Steel, is this kind of like sci-fi, like spaceship zooming around noir kind of thing. And then the other is the second Citadel, which is more of a fantasy thing. And it is cute. It is queer. It is just so much fun. So follow that. Link will be in the down there part. Kyle, what do you got for us? There's a couple shows I've been watching that I thought about talking about. But in our about four-week break, I have poured 50 hours into God of War Ragnarok. So it has to be that. Yeah. This is a sequel to the soft reboot of the series back in 2018, which was just called God of War. And is a continuation in like a much more direct way than some of the other God of War sequels have been. And it's great. It's more of the same, and I love it. There's not much to elaborate on. Sophia, where can people find you online? Well, I have updated my link tree with a whole bunch of new stuff and places where you can come and harass me. So I have a Tumblr. It's pretty transy, pretty pretty. I'm on Mastodon. You don't want to be on my instance. You don't want none of that smoke. It's too much for you. I'm on Twitter. I'm always on fucking Twitter. Because of my job, I'm going to ride that sucker into the fucking ground. That's Hamilcarinina, H-A-M-I-L-C-A-R-E-N-I-N-A. I'm on Quora, Sophia Lane and Maestatrix. I'm on Medium. I finally finished the Hellraiser piece. I'm not particularly proud of it, but it's fine. It's a good piece. You can find that on Medium. Also, Sophia Helena Maestatrix or Queering House. If you search either of those on Medium, you will find it. <laughs> the, the full title is Hellraiser 2022. Subtitle, Fuck the Meta. <laughs> My Instagram, SophiaH underscore MDT. I'm super hot there. I'm on Hive, but like Hive is broken as an app. So like, don't worry about it. I think that's it for me. Kyle, where can people find you? I'm on Twitter at Kyle the Giggles. I'm on Tumblr, Letterboxd, and Twitch under Hebrew Hammer. We also have a Twitter account at Off the Film Path that we've kind of dropped the ball a little bit on doing our real-time reactions, but we'll get back to it, I'm sure. I think we'll get it back, yeah. If you'd like, there's a link at the bottom of our show notes where you can leave a voice message to be in an upcoming episode, whether to leave your own pop culture pop-out or talk about the movies we discussed. But in order to get in on the next movie discussion, Sophia, what are we watching? All right. So next time we have a little bit of a change of pace. You might have noticed that a lot of our movies tend to be comedies. This is not that. We are watching Terminal. Now, this is different than The Terminal with Tom Hanks. Yes. So you're looking for Terminal with Margot Robbie and, again, not a comedy, Mike Myers. I don't know if you've seen a lot of his work recently. They're not comedies either. Ayo! Oh. This is someone who likes Mike Myers. Cold-hearted. If you like the show, please remember to subscribe so you can get the episodes automatically. Rate and review us on iTunes and Spotify. And tell your friends about it. Share the good word of the Off the Film Path podcast. Shoot a laser into a satellite that will reflect it back onto a major population center and just like burn the name of the podcast into the street somewhere like that. Yeah. Just make sure it's a Jewish space laser. Yes. Let me know, hit me up on like hive or wherever, and I will give you the passcode to access the Jewish space laser. Thank you very much for listening. And we will catch you next time. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.